Hey guys, week 49. Let's start this out with the uh, basket case drawing. Now this directly wasn't just for me. This was shared on the Screaming Toilet page everywhere. So we had quite a bit of entries. This is the page. It was an Excel work uh, spreadsheet. Everyone is numbered with their email addresses. So we'll go by email address. I'm sorry if you didn't want to public, but hey, you're entered in the contest. Uh, there's 236 names on the list. I have a randomizer here. This is for the basket case. Um, uh, Blu-ray from Arrow and the enamel pin. See the randomizer, and it's up to one. To, it's set for one to two thirty-six. I'm gonna shake it, and whoever wins gets the. Uh, I'll read it off. Who do we got? What number is that? Why is it all blue? Eighteen. Let's see. That's number eighteen. Let's see who eighteen is. It is Thomas Townsend at gmail.com. Let me show you guys number 18 so you know I'm not cheating. Hopefully that's all right. That's all the names on the list. Congratulations, man. Get your uh, address uh, to um, the website, to the email where you sent. Send in your address, and uh, that will be shipped out ASAP. I have some uh, reviews for you, some dual reviews, uh, dual reviews with uh, Jeremy. We tackle a few things, but let me hop right into uh, the first review for you guys. This is going to be from uh, Scorpion Films, uh, Music Box, uh, Aloha, Bobby and Rose. This is from uh, 1975. I never seen this movie and I hadn't really heard much about it until they announced they were releasing it and usually Scorpion releases interesting cool stuff this has Paul Lamatt in it uh, and uh, who else pops up in here uh, Robert Carradine, John Almost has a small role in it yeah <clears throat> this is kind of a strange drama uh, you know slice of life movie kind of a crazy adventure for a couple days or a crazy night it takes place in uh, like the L California area so um, seeing California in 1975 in the big cities is real cool so all like the cars at the time. Uh, Paul Lamette plays this kind of loser Bobby. He, um, you know, he's not really a great guy. He's not really on the up and up. He does some, you know, bad things. He's not a perfect person at all. And no matter how bad he gets, or he never crosses that line into villain. And uh, the actor is really good at bringing in a likable. Uh, a thing to him. He brings in a likable uh, thing about him that is surprising because typically I wouldn't like characters like this, but uh, he brings in a, a nice uh, you know, presence about him. He ends up meeting this girl, Rose, of course, and uh, you know they start to kind of have a relationship. Rose has a kid back at home. They're, they're fairly young. Bobby works at part-time as a mechanic, and when he's not doing that, he's uh, gambling at, at you know pool halls. He owes money to people. And uh, his best buddy is Robert Carradine, who's very young in this one. And what happens is uh, Bobby and Rose end up committing a crime on accident and going on a, a you know, kind of a cross-country, you know, run. They bump into a, a couple, uh, and uh, this this larger-than-life kind of character who used to play, like, football and his wife, and uh, they, they have a relationship with them. It's kind of these two characters kind of avoiding cops throughout and uh, falling in love, but also having a horrible tragedy kind of separate them. They've only known each other for a couple nights, but they're madly in love, and it's like a young love thing. And it's very it's very tragic, and it goes to places that I didn't expect. What I really enjoyed about the movie is actually the look of the movie. I, I love how it looks. I love where it's shot. I like how it's shot. I really 
really love the soundtrack in the movie. There's a lot of Elton John, 1975. There's also some other, you know, popular songs that are in here. Just My Imagination by The Temptations. And uh, this is probably the only movie you'll see where there's a car accident in slow motion to the locomotion, which is a really interesting scene. Uh, but when the scenes of violence do happen, uh, especially in the beginning, they're fairly graphic and surprising. And it kind of came out of nowhere. I would say it's similar to like a Miracle Mile where it just completely changes gears when you don't really expect it. And uh, it, it becomes something else. It feels like almost like real life because they have these moments of, you know, quietness or just, you know, kind of a boredom or everyday life. And then we have this scene of, you know, uh, you know, intensity. Uh, like I said, Bobby causes these problems, but he never becomes a despicable character. He, he's just kind of a likable loser who does do a lot of bad things here and there. Not bad things, but just it never really takes um, um, responsibility for the things he does and never really got his life together. But he does seem to actually genuinely care for Rose. And, and it sets up this element where you like Rose as well, even though she is kind of struggling with leaving her kid behind, which is an awful thing to do. And, uh, you know, these are complicated characters and it shows but uh some of the best parts in the movie are when the couple are uh paired up with the other couple and they go to places they go to like uh I can't think where they go. I think they go to Mexico, and uh, I believe it is Mexico. And they go to this restaurant, and you just see how the uh, the big, larger than life guy interacts with other people. At one point, he pulls out a gun at this drive drive in a drive through where these guys are causing him trouble, and he says, "This is Uncle Charlie here," and uh, he threatens him. But uh, he's just a a very very crazy character that steals the show when he's on screen. Uh, on the disc, there's some nice uh, special features in here. There's an interview with Paul Lamott, and he, he seems, you know, uh, it seems like he's had a, a rough couple of years. It's kind of sad, but uh, he seemed in fairly good spirits here. He talks a lot about the movie. He talks all sorts of things about it, and, uh, you know, he brings up uh, a lot of stuff about his career, and he says, why, you know, if I, maybe I am just an old washed-up guy, but, uh, you know, if, if I, and people say I'm not, but if I'm not, give me a call. And it's just, I felt bad for him. You know, he says at one point he was like poisoned at a time when he had this, like when he was going through like a, he's a political activist and stuff. And he really put a, uh, you know, a strain against his career. There's also an interview with Robert Carradine, who's always great uh, to see talk about the movie. Uh, he has fairly fond memories about it, but he brings up other movies. They start talking about all sorts of stuff he's been in. And Robert Carradine has a list about this long. Like they say, you can't make a movie without a Carradine in Hollywood. And, you know, there's a bunch of them to pick from. And uh, there's an interview with the director too and he has an interesting uh, life too he directed a few movies here and there was involved with some other ones as well was a writer for a long time and uh you know at one point he was telling the story that he was pegged to be one of the next big things like along with spielberg and scorsese and he was like well they got three out of the four right and uh that, that's a little sad too but these guys are very candid on camera they don't screw around and they're not full crap either they don't just play the game where they're beating around the bush and everybody's great and everybody's nice they're just being honest and i like seeing that it's interesting you, know, you get a glimpse into the movie world and you get a glimpse to look into this movie as well um uh, it, it, like I said, it's a uh, it's a well-made movie, a drama slice of life uh, that's well shot, that captures a part of time, a place in time, um, really well, and it's got a great soundtrack, and it's got a very sad, tragic ending, and it's a fairly memorable movie. I, I would say check it out if you like these '70s kind of dramatic movies. I would say it's worth a watch for sure. Paul Lamont, the boy from American Graffiti, is Bobby. He's got a 68 Camaro.
is Rose. She's got an urge to travel. One Saturday night, they became lovers in the city of dreams. In Hollywood, USA, home of the stars, baby! Bobby and Rose, two California kids with a fantasy of paradise. Take me to Hawaii. Okay. Let's go. Aloha, Bobby and Rose. A new kind of love story in the world of top 40. Zero to 60. Hard sell and heavy metal. The music of some of the most important performers of our time and two young lovers who become fugitives in a world that moves too fast. I mean, I can't walk out on him. I can't do it. Aloha. It means hello and goodbye. Let's get a seat by the window. Uh, you can watch the ocean sea and uh, maybe we can see Hawaii. Aloha, Bobby and Rose. Okay, the next one here is from Arrow Films. This is A Pistol for Ringo and The Return of Ringo. Yeah, these are two spaghetti westerns made in the early 60s. Uh, by, uh, I can't think of the director's name. Uh, he did, uh, I think, Death uh, Laid an Egg and Death Occurred at Midnight. He did some giallos, but these are like the only two westerns he did. Uh, these star uh, Giuma, I can never say his name, but he's in a slew of stuff. He's in uh, Tina Bray by Dario Argento. He's in Silver Saddle by Lucio Fulci. Uh, he's in Day of Anger with uh, Lee Van Cleef. So this guy has a, had a nice career. Uh, what we have is uh, like two uh, sequels in name only spaghetti westerns made back to back with the same cast and crew. A Pistol for Ringo follows the story of um, this kind of, uh, I guess he's kind of an outlaw, but he always gets away with everything because uh, he's, he's a playful outlaw. And uh, people are always after him because he killed somebody, but they, it's always their fault. And he kind of sets up these circumstances where they draw first and he defends himself. He is imprisoned, and it's, he is the only hope to infiltrate this gang that are hiding out in the villa and uh, save a, a, a rich man and his daughter who is dating the sheriff. So that's basically what happens here is we have this infiltration story of uh, these cruel bandits that are taking over this villa and every day, or uh, this ranch, and every day they kill two peasants and they say we're working our way up to the top. Uh, this is kind of a fun story. It's kind of a siege movie with the sheriff on the outside trying to get in and uh, Ringo, you know, playing all these people and being real clever and witty and uh, very funny at the same time. He, he definitely reminds me of a Sean Connery type where he's, uh, you know, getting uh, laughs at their expense and whatnot. Uh, I enjoyed what he was doing. I thought he was a good actor and everything, and I thought the story was good. And uh, there's some other things I really enjoyed about this stuff, too. The camera work in these Italian movies is always really well done. Uh, there's a part in the movie. just This is just like a, a regular scene in the movie. It's not like a big set piece here. But there's this character that's uh, you, you follow his feet, and he's running, and he's breaking every plate on the table, this large table at the, the ranch, the rich ranch. And you're following his feet, break every plate, every plate. And then he jumps off the table, and you're still following him, no cuts. And then it pans out, and it goes around the whole room, and it ends up stopping on two uh, important characters having a conversation. 
all this is in one shot. All this is done without a steady cam. So it's just you're thinking, man, that's a, that's a lot of hard work. That's a lot of professionalism. That's a lot of talent in that one little shot. Uh, the, the commentaries on here were really uh, informing as well. Informed me very well about you know the state of filmmaking. Um, the director had worked with you know like uh, Sergio Leone. They had worked together and talked and, and worked on scripts and stuff and whatnot back and forth. Uh, I also noticed some other names in here. Uh, e. coli uh, or Cola, who did uh, I can't he did uh, the Death Walks at Midnight, Death Walks on High Heels. He was involved in these, so it's nice seeing that as well. But uh, he meant they mentioned that you know uh, the director had these uh, these quotes that he said you know. There's two things you can focus on in a, in a spaghetti western or a western in general. You can focus on the comedy and the violence. Leone did the violence. I did the comedy. And uh, there are some comedic moments in the movie, although there is violence here and there. The bad guys are really awful, and they and they set up a great crew. They have a nice little crew similar to, like, for a few dollars more, where you recognize all the bad guys, and they're always in the background. It's always the same guys, and they legitimately get picked off here and there, and, and uh, you're happy to see them go. Um, there's also a strange relationship between... Uh, the guy running the ranch and the main uh, villain squeeze in here and he starts to charm her. Uh, it's an enjoyable uh, spaghetti western, nothing amazing, but uh, it also shows that uh, Sergio Leone wasn't the only guy making spaghetti westerns in the very beginning. And uh, it's strange that they went with his approach when you had other guys making them too, like Sergio Crabucci with uh, Django and whatnot. And um, Sergio Leone and this guy too, Des uh, what is his last name, uh, Tessere. Uh, so y you got a slew of you different guys making stuff, and you notice there's not really any close-ups on the eyes. They also bring that up. So it's definitely its own beast. It's not just, you know, uh, Leone Cashin. It's, it's a little bit different, and it feels more like a traditional American Western than a Leone Western, but it, it definitely has that spaghetti flavor as well. Uh, a Pistol Ferengo is pretty cool. I mean, the, obviously the title is the guy doesn't have a gun 90% of the movie, but he's so good with one when he gets it, you know, it's pretty much over. The sequel, a Return, to, uh, The Return of Ringo, at first I was a little bit confused. I was like, okay, is this a direct sequel? Is this a prequel? Because they mentioned the Civil War in the first one, and then he is a Civil War vet returning, which is the very common theme in a lot of these westerns. But no, it's completely unrelated. Uh, we have the same lead coming back. Um, he's a Civil War vet. He comes back into his town and has been taken over by bandits, of course. His wife is no longer his. He, she is being forced into a relationship with one of the bandits and a strange relationship. And uh, this time it's the sheriff. The guy who played the sheriff in the last one is one of the bandits in this one. His brother is the main bandit for the last one. And we see the whole same group of bad guys. And uh, basically what we have here is a small little town, a small town scared to speak up against the bad guys. And we have this stranger that comes in and he, you know, he worked, he kind of uh, infiltrates and it's up to him and some of the other townspeople to gain their courage and fight back. Uh, you know, it's been done a lot of times. High Plains Drifter for one. Um, Although that one has a little bit more complex things going on, but uh, there's a lot, there's lots of uses of dynamite in here, which I liked. Uh that Leone would use as well, like Fistful of Dynamite. And uh, it, it's almost the same movie. It's just a little differences here and there. It, it's not the same movie. It's the same cast and crew, so it feels very similar. I think that the music, the score in here is a little bit better. Uh, the, return, the music in the second one, I think, the, the theme music. Ennio Morricone did the score for both of them, so they're, they're good. They're great. You know what I mean? But uh, I prefer the uh, soundtrack in the second one a little bit better. I think the song, the speaking dialogue song, what is it? Uh... Ah, uh, it was stuck in my head for days. It gets stuck in your head. It's just a very memorable song. And I, I like the Civil War return. And there's a beautiful moment when the wife realizes who he is and they make eye contact. It, it's really great. Um, and we have the story where he had the injured hand and he has to learn how to fight again. 
they're both interesting. They're both fun. And they're both very solid uh, westerns. I, I no complaints. Uh, they're not my favorite movies ever made, but I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, tell people not to watch them. The commentaries are fine. There's some interviews on here if I remember correctly as well. Uh, the commentaries are informative. Like I said, they talk about other westerns at the time and they talk about what they like and the locations and uh, a lot of the stuff. The comparisons between Leone movies at the time. It's good stuff. Uh, it's well shot, well made, just solid spaghetti westerns. Well, you found him, I reckon. Cause I'm Angel Face. Well, I warned him not to step forward, didn't I? Although you can understand why this man was Angel Face. Look at Gamma. Yes. He's Gamma. So handsome. So handsome. It was a person. Eh, alla quale io volevo bene e mi manca molto, devo dire, ecco, ho perso un amico. Ed è circondato in questa nuvola di fumo e stava ore e ore e ore a scrivere le sue sceneggiature. He could be joining the Bexin Bandits uh, for a share of the loot or he could be working for the sheriff, but it's, it's not entirely clear. For Ringo. The return of Ringo. Rivers, you know how is the story? You know Ringo. He was called. On behalf of the sheriff, and in the name of the law, I place you under arrest. You must agree, Sheriff, it isn't difficult. Just make up your mind, that's all. You know how is the story? Okay, the next one here. I don't have a copy. I watched it on Amazon Prime. It is Future Force from 1991 by everybody's favorite director, David A. Pryor, who did stuff like Killer Workout, Deadly Prey, and Sledgehammer, the 1980s shot-on-video movie that 90% of it is in slow motion to pad the runtime. Yeah, okay. Um, Future Force stars... Uh, Keith Carradine. No, it's a David Carradine. Sorry, I'm getting all my Carradines confused. A whole lot of Carradine going on. But uh, David Carradine, towards, uh, you know, a little later in his career, it's 91. And uh, who else pops up in here? Uh, the guy from The Deep and Longest Yard and Hard Times, the bald guy who fights Charles Bronson. I can't remember his name. But he pops up in here. And those are pretty much the two biggest stars of the movie. It is a futuristic 1991, which was kind of a strange way to go with it. Made 91. The future is 91. It's kind of a deal where the cops have been taken over by private organizations. So it's uh, run by this uh, crooked company, of course. And uh, I don't know where this movie aligns politically unless it doesn't even have one. It's just doing it for fun. But in the very beginning, open narration, it says, you know, uh, the police forces are closed and it's all run by private uh, um, companies. And we, the, some people say the streets are safer, but at what cost? And then you come in and David Carradine hates all the like the reporters and the people trying to crack open the things. Basically, the cops are basically bounty hunters. And they go out and they kill. And they change the law completely. You are, uh, you, have, you are proven guilty. You are guilty until proven innocent. Stuff like that. 
And uh, David Carradine has this thing he latches onto his arm that makes him super powerful, and he can you know shoot at th- shoot things out, stop cars. Uh, it's ridiculous. There's a cop bar in here. They're actually called the cops. I don't remember what they what they're called. Uh, something. It, it's abbreviations. It's ridiculous. The name. But he has a whole group of uh, you know guys in his precinct that are basically bounty hunters. They get bounties, and everybody's pretty much sentenced to death. They can bring him in alive or dead, but you know most of the time they bring him in dead. And uh, there are all sorts of weird-looking goons and jean jackets and leather uh, straps and whatnot. What happens is this reporter uh, has this exposed tape that uh, you know exposes the owner of the cops as a crooked monster and. Uh, he basically orders a hit on her for treason. So all these guys are after her. Carradine gets to her first, and uh, he wants to bring her in to get the bounty. Unfortunately, they're going above him, and uh, the guy, the CEO or the owner of the cops, orders that uh, David Carradine be killed as well. Uh, so basically, all the bad cops are chasing uh, David Carradine while he tries to protect his girl and realizes, you know, this is all bullcrap. It's kind of like the thing that he doesn't believe in, he has to protect and ends up sort of believing in it, and they start to get this strange respect for each other. Uh, yeah. That's pretty much the plot of the movie. Uh, there's some decent action in here, surprisingly. There's a lot of shootouts. It's really silly. It's really stupid. The acting's not good at all. Maybe Carradine's okay. He's talking a little slow, and a lot of people have suggested he's probably been drinking. Um, the guy who plays uh, the the main villain is the guy from Hard Times. He's fine. He seems to you know just do his kind of sadistic you know little thing, and he's okay in here. Uh, the guy who plays this, uh, the owner, uh, the bad guy, he is overacting to ridiculous levels. It's like coke. 4.0. I don't know. I'm just. I'm not saying he's on it, but he's just intense and screaming and yelling. Not a bad performance. Just a super ridiculous, over the top performance that fits the movie. Like I said, there's squibs that go off. It's not horrible. There's cars that explode. It never becomes boring. It never is uh, exceeds that level of just fun, though. It's and uh, it does feel at times like a Punisher like storyline because we have. Um, he basically has a guy back in a wheelchair who's helping him, you know, hack the computer and whatnot. And his arm, there's a ridiculous scene where the arm has a remote control and, uh, they keep, uh, hinting at it. And when it does happen, it is absolutely absurd. It flies in the air and it hits, it's so silly. It's so ridiculous. It's low budget fun filmmaking. Is it gonna be the next best thing you see? No. Is it the worst movie ever made? No, but it's a good, bad movie. It's stupid, it's silly, but it's fun. You'll enjoy yourself. It's on Amazon Prime. It doesn't look great. doesn't look horrible. There's lots of cheesy goons in here. Lots of, uh, you know, beefcakes with mustaches pointing guns at each other. Uh, lots of testosterone, guys. Uh, but it's fun. It's Future Force with David Carradine. For the bounty hunters of the future. You are presumed guilty until proven innocent. David Carradine is setting the standard in... Future Force. A mercenary police force. We're doing it! Come on, baby! An undercover reporter. I'm on her dead in a box six feet on the ground! A city gone insane. David Carradine in Future Force. 
Hey guys, we're here for a couple dual role uh, reviews. Uh, revolves is almost what I said for some reason. But uh, the first one we're going to be tackling is Rock and Roll High School from 1979. This is part of the Roger Corman Blu-ray collection deal that came out from Shout Factory earlier. I had not seen this one. Uh, I had heard a lot about it. And I was at Cinema Wasteland and PJ Souls was there. And I was like, oh, she's in Rock and Roll High School. I was like, I probably should check that out. Why not? I've had it for so long. But uh, yeah, Rock and Roll High School is freaking weird. It's directed by Alan Arkish. Uh, Joe Dante actually directed part of it, uh, like I said, 79. And it's like a vehicle for the Ramones. Like the Ramones, so bizarre. Uh, let's say this right off the right off the right off the bat: the Ramones are not good actors. No, they're terrible. And there's uh, there's, there's some music scenes in here. It's it's a musical. It's a weird, zany, like almost kid friendly musical. Uh, we have uh, your typical school with uh, your rock and rollers and just girls who want to have fun. Just a, you know, typical high school. Uh, we have Mary Warnoff, who is an evil, stern, uh, like very aggressive principal. Paul Bartell is in here as a, a music teacher who, you know, kind of is interested in the kids' music and whatnot. And PJ Souls and uh, Day Young are two of the students. And the Ramones are in it, of course, and they're in the infatuation of uh, PJ Souls. And one of the Van Pattens is one of the kids in here. Uh, getting the gist of it out there, uh, what'd you think of it? Um... Rock and roll, rock and roll. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really care for it. It's not bad. It's a bit too long. I don't like the Ramones. All right, I kind of, I, I don't have any strong feelings towards the Ramones, negative or positive. Right. I kind of like them. Uh, the Ramones actually are in the soundtrack. The soundtrack in the movie is actually really good. Uh, with Ramones music and non-Ramones music, uh, it is one of the goofiest, most. Uh, ridiculous movies i've ever seen in my entire life and if you saw it at a young age you would love it uh it, it does a lot for how low budget it is it is a very low budget movie you can tell but they uh, managed to do a lot and uh the ending of the movie is surprisingly dark uh like almost like yeah what in the hell are you thinking but uh the highlight for me is and will always be Paul Bartel uh, having the time of his life dancing throughout the movie in the background. It's so hilarious. If you guys don't know who Paul Bartel is, he's always paired up with Mary Warnoff. Mary Warnoff and Paul Bartel are both phenomenal. They're in Eating Raw Wolf together. They're in a slew of stuff, Chopping Mall. Paul Bartel was a director, Death Race 2000, Eating Raul, even pops up in Posse. He had a very strange career. And, uh, he's a great director and a great actor. Mary Warnoff is top-notch in this movie as the stern kind of almost like femme nazi i don't know no she's like super strict not femme nazi she's, she's like uh like an authoritarian authoritarian yeah, yeah. It's the complete opposite probably of a femme nazi too she's like <clears throat> super mean and strict and uh all about you know rules and whatnot but it, it's just so bizarre it plays kind of like a trauma movie at times and the ridiculousness mm -hmm. but it's like friendly and there's this weird gag that's completely out of place i can't believe i who did the uh effects in it, it was one of the big guys like rob botine or like uh, rick baker somebody like that i can't remember who but it's a big uh one of the big uh special effects guys probably rob botine I, I can't remember recall off the top of my head uh but uh yeah there's these this mice joke with uh they're like uh <laughs> <I can't> even... <laughs> it's the funniest part of the whole movie where there's this joke where mice you know they uh you know put them against rock and roll music as experiments and they explode 
But uh, what happens is, like, there's a full-grown mouse in there at one point, and he tries to, like, sneak into the rock and roll. Like, no, we don't let mice in here. And it's out of nowhere. The whole, like, even tone is, that's not even that ridiculous. But then he has headphones, like, all right, come in. And then later when the school's in danger, like, this other mouse shows up, and it's in, uh, uh, like, uh, like it's the mother of the mouse, and it's wearing an apron that says, I hate mouse work instead of housework. And, and it has like the hair uh, rolls and everything. It is so silly, so ridiculous. It gets very repetitive. You hear some of the same songs all the time. And uh, there's these there's these music video like parts in it where it just breaks into music, song and dance, mm-hmm. and, and they're well choreographed. And uh, for, especially for a budget, I enjoy it. I think it's really funny. I think it's really silly. I think it's really cute. I guess I was like cute. Yeah, he, like. Each individual scene is fine on its own. As a movie, I don't think that it stacks up. Um, the Ramones, to me, are like the Beach Boys of punk. It's like, Ooh, like that's harsh. I, yeah, I just I like the Beach Boys too, though. So I, I like they're everybody. Okay, you know? They're okay. I think that the movie would be better if instead of the Ramones, it was the Banana Splits because <laughs> it legit feels like a, a fever dream, <laughs> like staying home from school watching. <laughs> like, what are the bananas? I will never. I this is completely off track, but the funniest joke ever in The Simpsons was when Krusty said it was like a throwaway joke. He says, "This is more tragic than the time the." Banana Splits died in that plane crash. And I was like, did the Banana Splits die in a plane crash? I don't think they did, but it's just so funny. But yeah, it does feel kind of like a Banana Splits skit, too. I don't even know if anybody would know who the Banana Splits is if they're under the age of 50 at this point, to be honest. I don't even know why we know who they are. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's just zany and goofy and fun and uh, very Roger Corman, very Paul Bartel, very Barry Warnoff, very fun. Uh, if you saw this at a young age, you'll love it. Uh, I love watching uh, PJ Souls. She's got a lot of charisma. She's crazy. Clint Howard's really fun in it. He plays a really mm-hmm. weird character. This is a movie that doesn't take place on Earth. And uh, the features on here are great. They have interviews with Souls and Day Young and Clint Howard and uh, Van Patten. So it's really nice to see that. It's a nice release of a movie that I enjoy. Jeremy, not so much. It, it's okay. It's just... It is what it is. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't go in, like, expecting the greatest movie. It's 1980. Welcome to Rock and Roll High School. Rock and Roll High School? Do you want I am Miss Togar, and I am the new principal of this school. And who are you? I'm Riff Randall, rock and roller. The only girl I ever dream about at night is Riff. I've done more detentions than anyone in the school's history. Are you a virgin? How about a cheerleader? Nice set of pom-poms. Tom wanted Riff. But Rip wanted to live a rock and roll fantasy to the music of her favorite group. The hottest band this side of the Iron Curtain, the Ramones! You have managed to upset the entire school with its godforsaken noise. Things sure have changed since we got kicked out of high school. Hey, come on, you guys, follow me into the school! They tried to stop their music, but the kids got wrecked and rocked the school. Rock, 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 rock,
the chief of police. He's going to storm the building. Rock and Roll High School, the school where the students rule. Could your school be next? Okay, guys, the next one here is from uh, 75, I believe. It is Brannigan by the director uh, Douglas Hickok. And I listened to some of the commentary. Surprisingly, this is the father, Anthony Hitchcock, who did all the horror movies like Hellraiser 3, uh, Waxwork, uh, Warlock, Armageddon. He did a few others, two full clips. So the guy had a, uh, you know, a nice... Um, uh, career his son did and he did too the father uh, the director of this one also did Sitting Target and Theater of Blood with Vincent Price so uh, I never saw Brannigan it stars John Wayne Richard Attenborough uh, John Vernon Mel Ferreira uh, Judy uh, Gleason or is it uh, yeah Gleason and uh, who else is in here there's somebody else that popped up in here that I recognized uh, Ralph Meeker has a small role too so it's got a nice cast and uh, it's one of John Wayne's last movies and it's his answer to Dirty Harry he did a cop movie before this called McQuaid which I had not seen uh, but Brannigan, uh, the case and the tagline was suggested. It's much more violent and serious than the actual film. It says, "Big Jan Brand, a uh, Jim, Big Jim Brannigan takes on London, Chicago style." Uh, the plot is basically John Vernon is a criminal. He escapes to uh, London, uh, and um, they send uh, Brannigan, who is a Chicago cop, to go pick him up and bring him back to the United States to be uh, held for trial. Uh, Richard Attenborough runs the Scotland Yard and uh, is very charming, and it's up to those guys to team up and... Uh, bring uh john vernon in there but he is kidnapped by these weird criminals and they're holding for a ransom and it gets complicated yeah um it's a good movie it's a lot of fun it, it's a blast you know this movie probably at the time like they were talking about in the commentary it's like it wasn't popular because it was very like hollywood in a lot of ways not as hollywood as john wayne typically was used to but it was you know a hollywood movie it was shot with like the the lighting and everything like that it looked nice it wasn't like this uh kind of like gritty style like the 70s was used to it, even though it is kind of gritty and realistic but it's not as a you know, downbeat or as graphic as some of the other 70s stuff. Uh, John Wayne is having a blast in this movie. Richard Attenborough's having a blast in this movie. Uh, it does feel a lot like a Western film. Uh, you know, Fish Out of Water, definitely like uh, more modern, like Wonder Woman. It's definitely that deal where you take a, a guy who's used to one thing and you throw him in a completely different situation. And John Wayne's really good at that. He always feels, like you said, he's a man out of his time. Even in like Rio Bravo, John Wayne feels like a man out of his time. He's never in his time. He's always old school for what he's in. And uh, it's just a lot of, you know what I love about John Wayne? And same thing with like somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is they know when to have fun. They know when to not take themselves so seriously. That's why somebody like Steven Seagal and Chuck Norris, I mean, not so much Chuck Norris, but Steven Seagal, you're like, oh man, this guy does not know, does not, he's so, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, when you have a completely, you're completely have no, um, I, I can't, it's one of the delusional. Like, he's delusional. Like, John Wayne and Arnold Schwarzenegger, they know what they're in. They know what's going on. They're smart guys, and they play into it. And there's beautiful lines in this that John Wayne has where um, uh, the his partner gives him a kiss on the cheek, and he says, what was that for? She says, "You're so because you're just so solid. He says, fat, you mean. Because mm -hmm. he's getting old. He's 68 years old. And this. I laughed out loud. I never laughed out loud so much. The dialogue's great. He's having a great time. This is. It starts off fairly serious. You think it's going to be this serious uh, deal with the John Vernon? He's like this mm -hmm. serious criminal, and then it just turns into more slapsticky almost at times. Yeah. Um. The, the scenes with um both John Wayne and Attenborough that like they're my favorite scenes in the movie. They have like a legit chemistry going on. Um. They 
thicker, but but not it, it's um it's like a friendly ban- it's more like a bantering, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and they they formulate plans and like like scenes open up where something happens and you realize oh, okay like uh the the fight scene oh the fight scene was yeah beautiful oh that was just that was one of the greatest scenes in like the, cinema history it went out way too long too it's kind of like that scene in Junior Bonner when it just turns into a full and it, it's a very very western thing to do have a big saloon fight out with it's kind of comical it's like a Junior Bonner like a uh, big old brawl in here and uh, while John Wayne's leaving uh he's like getting out of there he grabs a bottle of booze out of a guy's hand and walks out the door <laughs> it's just so silly and uh in the commentary they actually said that. Richard Attenborough never had so much fun in his life. Just looking at him, and be like he could not contain his smiles. Like I get the fight, Richard right. Attenborough, the old man from Jurassic Park, the mild mannered like genius from Great Escape gets the fight. Uh, it was just, it, it's just so fun, like to watch him, uh, you know, be more relaxed. And it's always great to see John Wayne interact with other movie stars, like, yeah, or even like character actors that are big, like in a uh, you know shoot us with Scatman Crothers just their scene together was great when he's in with Jimmy Stewart it's great he he works so well with movie stars and what I loved about this too is that he has like a female companion but they don't uh, go for a stupid love story they have like a chemistry that they obviously kind of have maybe if he was younger but uh, they have a chemistry but it's not like a generic forced love story where 68 year old John Wayne's picking up 33 year old <laughs> detective partner which is what they do a lot of times but it's more of a father daughter relationship and I really like that uh, you know he fit into it very well and uh he, he uh there's jokes at his expense but expense but he's he's not as a you know as aggressive as like a dirty hairy type which is what this movie is an answer to um it's just something more like um John Wayne's the type of guy that will treat you nice and these uh, Brannigan will treat you all right as long as you treat him okay while uh, dirty Harry's going to be a dick no matter what <laughs> that's right. why it's just like he's such a more likable although dirty Harry's a far superior movie i mean you can't compare but I really like, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching John Wayne. It is a little long, and there's this assassin uh, storyline that I don't think's really needed. The assassin is very generic, and he feels like a bad James Bond villain. And he's just gross. He's just not a pleasant character to have in the movie. And uh, I don't really particularly like him in the movie. Uh, yeah, he, but he, it he, gives him something. John Wayne, some danger. Yeah, he the the assassin character. He's like. I guess is he hired by the... He's hired by John Vernon before John Vernon gets kidnapped. So Right. And yeah. like the the element like it, it's completely unneeded. It it just like none of the assassin scenes link up to any of the actual plot or story that's going on. It's like well, do we want to make this a ransom movie or do we want to make this a run from the assassin movie? Well, let's do both, but at no point are any of them going to intersect. Yeah, I mean, it sort of does, but it sort of doesn't. John Vernon in the movie is great. Uh, he's got a wonderful voice. He's always top-notch, always adds an element of greatness to his movie, to any movie he's in. And he, I wish he was edited a little bit more. But uh, just seeing uh, Attenborough and um, John Wayne interact is worth the price of mission alone. And there's a great scene. that uh, There's so many funny moments with uh, lines from John Wayne. where, uh, Like uh, the tie joke where it keeps mm-hmm. bringing it up where it says uh, that he has a gun and he's carrying it around Britain. He's like, you're not supposed to have that. He's like, oh, the tie? You want this back? And it's funny because he has to wear it when he goes in this nice club and they keep joking about the tie and whatnot. And one of my favorite lines I laugh the most is when they're trying to get this guy to roll over on somebody and uh, Attenborough's going nuts they're playing good cop bad cop because they play they'll like jump into these scenes together right off the bat like they just know because they're both cops they're both from different areas and they play into that like Britain's better UK America's better back and forth and they you know take uh, you know shots at each other and uh, but they at the end of the day they're both cops and they respect each other and there's this really great moment 
where John Wayne is playing the good cop, which you don't think would be typical that Ambrose going to play the bad cop. They're playing against types, what the antithesis of each other or whatever, mm-hmm. right? They're playing against types. And, uh, He's like, uh, John Wayne says, man, he's, Ambrose he's like, you better do what he says. I mean, we were in a bar fight earlier, and this guy, he bit off a guy's ear. And he's like, really? He's like, that's not all. And then he whispers in his ear, <laughs> and he just, the guy's like, and he's looking down at him. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. And it was so funny, his facial expressions. There's lots of good chases in the movie, too. I would say that if you cut the assassin uh, element in here, you would say, shave like 12 minutes off the movie, and uh, it would actually make it, the proper runtime too. It's an hour mm-hmm. and 51 minutes, which is a little long for me for this movie. But uh, the car chases are well shot. It's shot in London. It looks good. Uh, it, a lot of these old movies doubled as like tourist attractions. Like we're going to show you how beautiful London is or right. how beautiful this area is. So people want to go there because it's not as easy to look it up anymore. But uh, I really liked it. Yeah. I, I solid movie. I'd watch Very it. Very fun. Very fun. Mm-hmm. The Duke is back. John Wayne is Brannigan. Knock, knock. You got no rules! A tough Chicago detective who's pounding a brand new beat. Brannigan, you're a public menace. I told you I wanted that big Irish wasted. Police, son, follow that car. The Duke's in London. And London will never be the same. John Wayne is Brannigan. He likes to hurt people. Made some real improvements since I was last year. Thank you. He covers the city from Scotland Yard. The Home Secretary blowing his top, demanding to know what kind of a lunatic I've turned loose. To Tower Bridge. Oh, nice! Well, the view from the bridge was terrific. Seeing the sights. I can pay 25 grand to get me that view. Meeting the people. Would you like to try for England's free dental care? Or are you going to answer my question? Enjoying the nightlife. This isn't Chicago, you know, Brannigan. That's right, Commander. You can't buy a decent hamburger anyplace. I wouldn't. Unless you want to sing soprano. There were only three things wrong with the Yanks. Overpaid, oversexed, and over here. That cuts it. The Duke's in London. God save the Queen. John Wayne is Brannigan. All right, the next one is the Pick-A-Movie. I think James Grimmer picked this one. I can't remember. Uh, Seth actually picked the next one for next week, and I can't remember the title, but I do have it. And uh, I saved. I, I actually looked into it, and I, I can get it fairly easy. So the James Grimmer picked The Doom Generation. It had been a long time since I've seen The Doom Generation. It's by Greg Anarchy, who did Nowhere, which I love, and Mysterious Skin, which I love. And uh, he did some other ones, Kaboom, which I don't love. And... Uh, <laughs> I liked Kaboom, but but uh, Greg Anarchy is a very unique director. I remember seeing a post one time. Somebody said the three worst directors ever are Greg Anarchy, Wes Craven, and Abel Ferrer. I was like, I wanted this. I was like, dude, you're crazy. Like those guys at least all have a couple of good movies, no matter where you're looking at it from. I mean, but uh, Doom Generation. Uh, this is '95. Uh, this is crazy, crazy movie. 
I think this was kind of like an answer to Natural Born Killers. It feels like it, mm-hmm. but it's it's very weird. It's kind of like a teens on a cross country killing spree, but uh, it's in a world of complete and utter chaos. The Doom Generation. This generation's kind of doomed, I guess, is what they're saying, or they're just violent, or uh, you know how everybody says like they think that the next generation of people is just completely doomed and hopeless. I guess that's just what they were saying with that name. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the three leads. Uh, one is James Duvall. Uh, one is uh, Rose McGowan. I don't know the other actor, but all their characters' names are either their their last names are red, white, and blue. So they're you know they're supposed to symbolize, I guess, America. Yeah. Um. You know, I don't know if I have ever seen this movie before. I don't think I have, but it seems very familiar to me, and it it gave me like a sense of nostalgia for one. I don't know where it comes from. Um. I thought it was a really solid movie, though. It's super weird. Like, the first ten minutes of the movie, you're kind of watching it, and you're like, I do not know. I, For me, at least, I was like, I don't know if I'm into this. I hadn't seen it in a long time, and the characters are very weird. It's very hard to... Nobody's acting like a human being, especially Rose McGowan. Mm-hmm. The stuff they say, uh, the tagline says it all. It says sex, violence, whatever. And that's that's how you do, like, kind of Greg Arnarchy kind of style films. It's just... They're super weird. Uh, every time they go to the places and check out, uh, the register comes up to $6.66. Uh, see, James Duvall and Rose McGowan are this couple and enters this uh, this guy who uh, is a criminal. He's like a sociopath. He's highly sexual. He kind of starts seducing the, the, the couple. And um, I think he's just basically Satan because when he comes in, all the prices are 666, and he basically starts killing people on the way. And Rose McGowan keeps running into people, and they're like, oh, I, where you been, baby? I know you. And at first you're like, why are these people all crazy? And then you realize Rose McGowan is definitely obviously not the type, uh, not the innocent person that she tells her boyfriend. She probably knows these people, and she has a history in herself. Uh, and, and basically it's just one of those weird movies, like a crazy couple of night movies, and they keep running into crazy, dangerous people, and it ends kind of tragically and violently. It's a violent movie, but it's also it darkly comedic and just insane. It, it seems to me a more, like, grounded movie for one of for his types of movies. Like, aside for, like, maybe... Um, Mysterious Skin's very grounded. Mysterious Skin is really grounded. And then I'd say probably this one. The other ones I've seen with, like, Kaboom and Nowhere, they're, they're kind of out there. Like Nowhere's real out there. Yeah. Um, there is a scene where the James Duvall character, when he gets a change of clothing, I don't know if it's related. This movie came out in 95. But he's wearing... Uh, a blue and yellow striped shirt and he has a yo-yo and it just made me think of something similar to Earthbound and I don't it can't be related because I can't think of Earthbound wasn't a popular game video games back in 95 weren't what they are today maybe he has a yo-yo why would he buy a yo-yo yeah and like the color of his shirt and the kids on like a crazy misadventure yeah I'm reading too much into well, it. They're painting James Duvall that he bought the yo-yo. I mean, in one hand, he's on a, a runaway spree involving murder. and in the other hand, he's still child enough to buy a yo-yo. Yeah. It, it's kind of like, you know, these innocents of these people. This is the like the, the doom generation. It's like they're, in one hand, they're silly enough to go buy, like, eat nachos and donuts mm-hmm. for breakfast and no health food or anything like that. And, the, and, and then the other hand be able to be involved with murder and do hard drugs and all this kind of stuff. So it's a very strange movie, and it's definitely making a statement on youth that, uh, you know, I don't know if I get it. I don't know if Greg Anarchy gets it. I don't know if the youth would get it or not. 
But, uh, I mean, it opens up with uh, Nine Inch Nails Heresy, the song. God is dead and no one cares if there is a hell, I'll see you there. So, I mean, it, it kind of paints the picture right there. I, I actually prefer Nowhere over Doom Generation. I always had a fondness of Nowhere. Uh, Nowhere is... Uh, I get, they're both very playful movies, but Nowhere's a little less violent, even though I think... I don't know which end is crueler. Both of them are cru cruel mm. endings. But Nowhere, Doom Generation is another one, too. Living End. I didn't see that one. Yeah, that's a third. He has, like, a trilogy of, like, a end-of-the-world trilogy or something Ooh. weird of, like, a destructive trilogy. And that's the only one I haven't seen. I should check it out. I think that one's about two HIV-positive guys that team up and just go on, like, a crazy crime spree. Mm -hmm. But uh, Doom Generation is definitely um, uh, a unique movie, and uh, the sexual tension in this movie you'd have to cut with a chainsaw, like especially in between all of them. Right. It's just very, very intense. Uh, Rose McGowan turns in a very bizarre performance. I think James Duvall turns in a very solid performance, playing a very innocent and silly and stupid kind of naive kid and uh, somebody that's unfortunately taken advantage of a lot. But um, uh, solid movie, really weird really bizarre and you have to kind of be in the right mindset and give it a few minutes if you don't like the first 15 minutes push on and and uh if you don't like past then i'd probably stop because it only gets weirder and crazier and uh just a super weird movie I, i'm sure that a lot of people could add a lot more to it about it but uh it's also very very sexual and weird yeah I'm, it's good it's a pretty movie yeah, it has some. I think yeah. it was shot in digital, though. Unfortunately, right. so it does look like that time frame. Maybe, maybe ninety five. Maybe that wasn't digital. Probably was film. Well, it, the DVD doesn't look great. I'll right, tell you DVD that. doesn't look great, but yeah, it's it's a good movie. I'd, I'd a, watch it. It's a watch. super bizarre. Mm -hmm. I feel really weird tonight. Like something's gonna happen. Me too. What's your name anyway? Xavier. Is it cool if I just call you X? There's something evil about him. That'd be 666. Pick up, girlie. What are you gonna do, shoot us? Scram! You gonna ask me to do us any big favors, huh? Well, pardon me for rescuing your ingrained ass. The suspects appear to be heading north. I hope he dies simultaneously. I can do it with your ball blast or something. That's so romantic. You're uh, giving me an erection. Six, six, six. Have either of you ever had sex with an animal? Just you. Should be considered armed and dangerous. Here's me, Jordan. Have you ever done that? Like, um, sex with two people at the same time? Mm-hmm. No. Uh, you don't. I love you, darling. You said you love me? You know that I really only love you. I love you! I love you can mean a lot of things. Okay, guys, let's get into the pick a movie. I had six entries. If you ever want to enter the pick a movie, just leave a comment on the YouTube video or Screaming Toilet or whatever. Shoot me a message on Facebook. I'll get it and I'll enter you. Um, yep, and also the same place. Just ask a question on the Screaming Toilet page to be entered. We have a few entries here. Let's see who's going to get drawn. James Grimmer again. I swear to God, man. There's other names in here. Who else is in here? Matt Godfrey. Adam Weber. Uh, Derek. Nick, 
John Wilhelm. But James Graver keeps winning, man. He's got to be the luckiest guy. I mean, you know, I bet he wishes he was getting all the prizes when I was still giving away prizes. But that's just crazy to me, man. Again, at least he doesn't pick bad movies, so we're okay. <laughs> okay, let's get into the Q&A. John Wilhelm, what was your favorite part about this year's Cinema Wasteland? I like hanging out with my friends, seeing my friends, you know. There's lots of people there that I enjoy seeing. Uh, I like going through the convention. I like buying stuff. I like going to the restaurants around the area. So I pretty much enjoy the whole experience. I'm not a big drinker. I don't drink at all. So uh, it's not the drinking. It's not the partying. It's just hanging out and buying stuff. I love the Diabolic Table. They have lots of great stuff. Nick, do you believe actors have an expiration date? Should he or he or she just quote quits upon reaching a certain age? I think that you have an expiration date to play a certain role unless it requires makeup. Like, I mean... If you're playing it, you can't play a 20-year-old something your whole life. But no, I mean, your expiration date is long. You know what I mean? Not really. I mean, I made in Hollywood. Some people, they would say they do, especially uh, certain males and females at a certain time. Like, you think about Malcolm McDowell. He acted when he was young and he acted when he was old. But there's a middle-age part where he didn't get much work. <clears throat> Same thing with a lot of female actresses. It's just weird. Who gets what what work? Is there such a thing as too many bonus features on a release? I don't think so, but it, it does get very hard as a reviewer to have to watch all the bonus features because I try to watch everything. Sometimes I don't get to it all, which I feel bad about. But, uh, you know, every once in a while I will tackle it all. Most of the time I tackle it all, but I don't think there's such a thing as too many uh, features on a release unless they, you know, actively bring down the quality of the main feature. Like, as in, like, they put too much on the disc and the main features, like, has to be shrunk down. Which franchise has too many sequels, prequels, spinoffs? I don't know. I mean, you don't have to watch them if they're bad, but uh, which one has more bad sequels than good sequels? I mean, I, I haven't watched Children of the Corn movies in so long, so I'll probably Children of the Corn. I don't know, but I, I doubt they're the worst series. Witchcraft. I, I don't even know if I've seen the first one or the first couple, and there's just way too many of those. I mean, if somebody wanted to actually get into them, there's like 17. You'd be like, nope, that's just too much for me. Seth, last but not least for a Q&A, favorite Kubrick film. Uh, my favorite Kubrick film is uh, 2001, no, uh, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned. How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Love that movie. Love its satire. Love its comedy. Love the cast. James Grimmer, for a convention such as Cinema Wasteland, are you able to conserve your energy, and, or do you end up using up all of it? I try to conserve my energy while attending conventions, whereas my friends aren't as mindful to do so. Uh, yeah, I try to. I mean, I don't like drink or do any of the parting, but still, man, not sleeping in your bed, getting up, walking around all day, doing stuff that you're not used to, talking a lot, you get your voice gets raspy, you get tired. Sometimes, I remember on some Sundays, you know, just being like, uh-huh, uh-huh, when people were talking to me, just so tired. But, uh... Yeah, uh, uh, this time I felt pretty solid, pretty good, you know. I uh, I work out in the mornings, even when I'm there, I bring weights with me and stuff. I get up early. It's just naturally for me to get up early. So I, I do pretty good, man. I only go to Wasteland, though, so. Derek uh, Boyger, I can't say your last name, never will be able to. Do you listen to commentary tracks on releases, and which ones, if so, would you recommend? I do for the most part, especially if there's a DVD combo. I'll put that in, I'll rip the files, I'll listen to it at work, I'll listen to it while I'm running, I'll listen to it when I'm doing something else. I love that. Uh, I would recommend pretty much almost all the Arrow stuff, especially if it's got Tim Lucas or Troy Hoberth on it. They're fountains of knowledge. Uh, who else would I put on there? They're, they do great stuff. Um, uh, Kat Ellinger does great stuff. Uh, I like listening to the director commentaries as well, or film historians on there. Um, like, uh, Brannigan, I like listening to that one. I went through that one, the Pistol for Ringo. You always learn something with the commentaries. So, uh, I would recommend almost all the commentaries if you can. Um, 
some of the director commentaries can be a little boring, especially if they have a making of. They kind of like repeat themselves a lot. But uh, some of the directors are, are amazing on their commentaries, so you never know what you're going to get. But the Arrow stuff's pretty solid. I, the Kino always ain't managed to get film historians that are good too. So <laughs> I would recommend almost all the commentaries if you got the time. I would check them out. I really like them. Okay, let's get into the update. Okay, guys, let's get into the update. First, we have one from Deep Discount that came a little late. Package already a little bit. This is Exorcism by Jess Franco. <laughs> this is actually the other cut of uh, Sadus and Notre Dame. This actually has some features on here, too. It has another cut of the movie, which is really cool. So, and uh, what else has it got on there? It's got... Uh, it's got um, the original theatrical trailer. So we got uh, two versions of the movie on there. One in standard def, one in high def. I've not seen it this cut of the movie, obviously, but I have seen The State of Notre Dame, and I think it's enjoyable. We have uh, Marquise de Sade's Justine. This is also a Jess Franco movie here. It's got a nice little cast in there. It's got Klaus Kinski and Jack Palance. I wonder if they got in a fight on there. I got my money on Jack on that one. This is a three-disc, a DVD, a Blu-ray, and a CD, I think, is in here, too. So, yeah, looks like there's a nice little bunch of features on here, including the perils uh, the perils and pleasure of Justine, interviews with co-writer, director Jess Franco, producer Harry Allen Towers, who are both past now, Stephen Throwler on Justine, uh, interview with the author of Murderous Passions, to a Delirious Cinema of Jess Franco, uh, French trailer, poster, and still gallery. So yeah, if you're interested in checking these out, these nice uh, additions from Blue Underground. <clears throat> then we have uh, the Import of the Evil Within. I really enjoyed this one. I reviewed it a while back. This is the crazy movie that was never finished and finally got finished after years and years. And uh, the uh, director passed away before it was released. Uh, it's a fever dream of a movie. Not perfect. It's a mess, but I love it. <clears throat> we have one here called Lesson of Evil. This is an import as well. This is uh, Takeshi Mike, I believe. And uh, Moods is talking about this movie on 22 Shots of Moods. Great podcast. And uh, he said it was awesome. So if he says it's awesome and it sounded damn cool, I ended up grabbing it. Then we have a couple I grabbed at Target for dirt cheap. This is 28 Days Later. Five bucks on Blu-ray. Didn't have the Blu-ray. 28 Days Later, sorry. Uh, love 28 Days Later. Haven't seen it in a while. I thought it was one of my favorite movies when it came out. I remember adoring the damn thing. Great stuff. And we have this one. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, you know, it is overrated. Scarface. But uh, it is also good. I mean, to be that popular, it has to at least be halfway decent. It has some features on there, obviously. You know, Al Pacino. I picked up a lot of Brian De Palma movies lately. I think the only one I really still need to grab is Body Double. But yeah, that's the update. Nice, short, and sweet. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We're going back to the uh, uh, video. Thank you very much, guys, for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. Hey guys, uh, we're here kind of for this new uh, segment. It's going to be a this for that kind of. Uh, I pick a movie that I want Cage to see that he's never seen. He picks a movie that he wants me to see. Uh, we're doing two today. I picked uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, which I reviewed by Sam Peckapaw in 1974. Uh, kind of a forgotten classic, but it's, being, it's been I'd rediscovered. Never, I'd never heard of it. It's been rediscovered and a lot of appreciation for it. Critics hated it at first. but And he chose... Uh, yeah, you? I chose uh, Jimmy and Judy. Which was a 2006 film starring yeah. Edward Furlong, and uh, I saw it a long time ago, and I always liked it, and I always thought Dave would like it. And we did the, uh, you did that probably because we had that National Born Killers discussion, yeah. which was really fun to do. So that's kind of inspired it. And these are yeah. going to happen at Wasteland probably every time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, so basically, what we're going to do is kind of grill each other about 
the movie that I chose. And uh, I'm going to grill him about bringing me that. I want to ask him his initial thoughts, what he thought about it, what he thought of the acting, and all sorts of things. So uh, let's hop into this. Uh, you watched this with your father, right? I did, yeah. I watched I, me, My dad and I watched it together. I'm going to get a little personal here. When I watched, I used to watch Wild Bunch and stuff. I, I, I rewatched it and stuff, and my dad died. And I would just be like, man, I wish I could have got to watch Wild Bunch with my dad. And I really wanted my dad to see Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia after I watched it. And that was one thing that connected with me. I said, my dad would have liked that movie a lot. Yeah. My dad, you know, I think he uh, enjoyed that kind of movie. Did your father enjoy watching it with you? He, he enjoyed it. Um, he didn't, he doesn't really know who Sam Peckinpah is. Yeah. But he knew who Warren Oates was. Did he know who Warren, yeah. from Stripes, right? So he was, he was just like, oh, he was like, I know that guy. And he, and, uh, he liked him. And, uh, he, he, you know, my dad doesn't really pick up on movies right away. So he, yeah. he asked me a lot of questions and stuff. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? But by the end of it, he, he really did like the film. Well, if anybody doesn't know what, uh, Bringing the Head of Alfredo Garcia is about, it's kind of a, it's a great plot. The movie opens up and you don't even know that it takes place in modern times. You feel like it's a Western, like a That's old, what yeah. my dad said. My, we were watching it and he's like, oh, there's cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah it blew his fucking mind. Yeah, it? yeah, it's just like, I thought this was a Western. And you know, Peckinpah's always about the end of a time era. Like, it's, these, uh, the, the, the Western, the Western's over. There's no place for these kind of people. Uh, but this one's modern time, so it's a little bit different, but it still has that same feel. Uh, basically, what happens is this big, like, ranchero down in uh, Mexico, um, He, um, his daughter, his, his daughter uh, is pregnant, and he is very mad about it. She's a young woman. He wants to know who the father is, and uh, he gives puts a million-dollar bounty out on the head of Alfredo Garcia. Bring me a million dollars for his head, who's the father. And basically, there's all sorts of uh, derelicts and bounty hunters hunting for Alfredo Garcia's head. Yeah. And Benny is this lonely piano player in a, a, a really run-down a hacienda, you call it, a hacienda's bar, like whorehouses, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. And uh, he's just a guy who has nothing and to lose, really. He's a loser, is what they say, but... Uh, Benny ends up getting caught up with this, him and his prostitute girlfriend, and looking for the head of Alfredo Garcia in Tragedy Strikes. He has, he has a lot of charm, though. Uh, Benny is very charming, but yeah. he is, he's a loser, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. the guy calls him a loser and says, nobody loses all the time. I love that. There's so many good lines. Yeah, there. yeah. What, what was your favorite part of the movie? There will be spoilers, so. Mm, probably, I don't want to spoil too much, yeah. but... but um. When the guys who first send him out to retrieve the head, yeah. when they show up again, oh, that, yeah. oh, that, that's such a good, standoff. And that, I love the line that he has too. with that thing, and he's like, uh, "The cut's here, but you're gonna have to take it. You're gonna and have that, to take it." Those yeah. two guys, man, there's like such a homosexual relationship between them. I didn't pick up well, on that. I, I picked up on it, and all the commentaries pick up on it, and uh, especially when uh, uh, Robert Weber, the guys from the Dirty Dozen, the uh, I guess more masculine one. The girl grabs his leg and he just elbows her like it's like a flitch reaction. Yeah. Think about that. And the other guy, Gig Young, true. They, they like in the commentaries they compare. He's like a sadist. Like he's just in. He's like bored sadist. Is what they call him. That's exactly what he is. And it's like those moments of like, what you think like how uh, Peck and Paul will leave only the old man standing. Like that cool twist yeah. of fate about that. It's just beautiful. Just the old man standing. And I love, I love the in the film. You know, it's the classic Peck and Paul slow motion. Yes. All the shootouts. Slow motion is involved. I love it. I love those slow motion shots well, that he always does. Are you familiar with Warren Oates a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. It's like Wild Bunch and yeah, Stripes. I've maybe. seen Wild Bunch. Yeah, what do you think of his performance? He's not a guy who typically gets a leading role, but I, I think he's tremendous. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I think um, he just—I he, 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 found his character charming, and he's so 
he makes it look so easy. Yeah. But you, but it's not, and like, he, but he just makes it. See, he's so nonchalant about everything. Did you uh, catch up the uh, connections with like? Uh, you seen uh, Sin City? Remember yeah. how he has the head in the car and he's talking to it. Oh yeah. Dude, I think that's straight rip from. This. I didn't think about that. It probably is because I bet Tarantino loves this. Well, movie. Rodriguez did that part, but I guarantee they both love this movie. No, no, Tarantino directed that part. I thought he only directed the segment with Josh Harnett. No, he didn't. No, no, he only directed the segment where he talks to the head. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my God, that makes more. Yeah. That's even more perfect. Yeah. But like, if you notice, it's filled with. Uh, there's some Peck and Paul regulars in here. Um, uh, the guy who plays the big kind of like uh, ranch, the ranch owner. He's a uh, Mapache. Mapache from uh, oh, okay. Wild Bunch. He plays that like the general. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a bunch of guys. Warren Oates, uh, Robert uh, Gig Young, Pierce, and a couple more. Uh, did you know where the movie was going to go? Not really. I, I, like, I just, especially, I don't want to spoil it, but the ending, Yeah. I really was like, wow. And then it went in a completely different direction at the very end. Kill it. Kill it. Yeah. Just, some of the lines in that movie really, like, fucking stuck with me when he was like, why? Because it feels so damn good. That's why. Yeah. And then the line where he says, God damn it, fuck it. And then uh, nobody loses all the time. Like, I, I've reviewed this one, so I probably like gushed about it before. But um, I remember the opening was very shocking. Oh, Madonna. Well, doesn't he like pinch her nipple or something? Her finger? Like at one point? They, and then like it cuts away. Her. Yeah, and like, it cuts away. And you're just some, like... For some reason. Yeah. And I remember my dad saying like, Wow, I can't believe they did this like, back then. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, those movies, it was impeccable. Guts. You know, that was like the one movie he didn't have any interference with. The studios always interfered with his movies. And he had just came off Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which had a lot of studio interference. And it was like a, a great movie. Uh, but, you know, he didn't get his final cut on it. There's multiple cuts of that movie. You know, it's like, a, I guess, a beautiful mess or something a lot of people would say. I, I think it's great with James Colburn and Chris Christopherson, Billy the Kid. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a really good movie. The film opens so beautifully with the water and yeah, like yeah. The, the geese and stuff, and then it just once you know they yeah. bring her in there and they strip her down. It just another thing I thought was really funny actually was when he he uh, he gets the crabs, the crabs, and, and, he, pour, he, pour, and he pours yeah. like the whiskey on his. Well, I mean, his like groin. They're perfect for each other because neither of them are perfect. They're both kind of just yeah. fuck offs. And kind of I really sleazy. love the uh, actress. Uh, she pops up in the movie Drum. She's so good in it, and I really liked her. And the part in the graveyard, like afterwards, yeah. Like when I first watched that movie, I, I thought I was like, oh, she she's okay. She's just knocked out. And then like when he left, and I was like, what? no, that's it. I was like, I can't yeah. believe that's it. There's lots of things in the movie where I just couldn't believe. Yeah, it's so soon. Yeah, like and, that and, it was just. And she's such a powerful force in the movie, too. My dad liked her a lot just because of her nudity. I mean, but she, she's gorgeous, and she's yeah. a great actress, too. And, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, it's just a great pairing with Warren Oates and stuff. And I, and one of the commentaries, they said that Benny was, like, he's not, like, a person that people relate to. And I was like, I completely disagree, man. This reviewer has never worked a shitty job for his life and had not much to show for it. You know, you, sometimes you just want to get ahead. And he said, isn't it yeah. enough being together? No, it's not, baby. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that stuff, it's not. Keep sometimes saying this is our ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had that chance. And I love that he just is like the whole Catholicism bullshit. He's like, who cares? It's just a fucking head. Yeah. Like they find out that Alfredo Garcia is already dead. So they're just like, let's just go dig up and take his head for a million dollars. Yeah. But, well, he didn't know it was for a million dollars. He didn't. 10,000. Yeah. yeah, he was getting 10,000. How yeah. much is it worth to you? You mind if I take the basket with me? It was me. It was it, uh, a woman I loved. Uh, that whole speech is so great. Yeah. The line he says, 16 people are dead for this, and one was a good friend of mine. 
Yeah. Like, when that happens, I was like, oh my god. Because I didn't know he was going to do that. I couldn't believe throughout the whole movie, all the shootouts, he, he never gets hit. Which he, like, he, he gets yeah, dirty yeah, and more filthier yeah. and filthier, and that white yeah. suit just gets grosser. And the flies cr- oh, flying all and you that. Can feel that was, the heat in this yeah, movie. Yeah, this is gross. Did you notice he was wearing a clip-on tie when he walked into the uh, like trying oh, to be no. like cool with those guys? He was wearing a fucking clip-on tie. <laughs> they pointed out in the commentary, and I was like, I didn't notice that. I just started yeah, I didn't, laughing. I didn't notice that either. No, but it's one of my favorites. I think it's really powerful. I think it's one of Warren Oates' best performances. I mean, he's always good, but he doesn't always get the lead. I mean, Dillinger. If you haven't seen. Uh, I haven't. Oh, he's good in that. You know the story of John Dillinger? Yeah, yeah. Dude. Yeah, that cast is amazing too. But this one, it's just great stuff. And like, the violence, you feel it. You feel sick sometimes. You're like, oh man, that's yeah. tough. But it's like adrenaline pumping. It gets like, intense very quick and then stops. Yeah. Like, and I liked seeing Chris Christopherson in yeah. it. Yeah, that, that whole rape scene is so weird. And yeah, it feels so like, much more realistic than a lot of movie rape scenes. Like He's like, you want us to leave? And then, like, it's almost that my, I remember my dad, me and my dad were talking about it, and it's like, it seems like she kind of wants it. Well, well, she has to, like, play that card so, like, the guy doesn't kill them both and leave them in a ditch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because she knows that Benny can't handle it, and she has to take over and control the situation. She was a prostitute. She's probably had these terrible yep, things happen to her before. She's like, I've been here before, you know? She, she's got the only one the way to deal with it. Yeah. Anything else that stuck out to you? Did you not like anything about it, or nothing negative I could really say about it? It was entertaining from start to finish. Do you know that Warren Oates supposedly was playing Sam Peckinpah in that movie? He was doing an impersonation of Peckinpah and acting like Peckinpah during that whole movie. Oh wow! No, I didn't know yeah. that. And it was hated by critics. It was just really yeah. It's such a great movie. It's such a Tarantino movie. Like it's like a proto Tarantino movie. Yeah, it's like yeah. like oh, this is just like if you made that heavy like. It'd be more facetious if it was Tarantino. It'd be more like self-indulging of himself as dialogue, but it's a Tarantino-style movie. Like, Tarantino would have, like, obviously was inspired by this movie. Yeah, I mean, he directed the segment in Cincinnati yeah, with yeah. the head. And that's a such a fucking bring me the head of Alfred. But I think Robert Rodriguez wrote it, though. So, yeah, so uh, maybe it's there and there. But uh, anything else you wanted to mention about it? Um... I liked it a lot. I, I you know I really liked the cra- the crab scene and the action. It's beautiful shot, beautifully oh, shot. That's probably good. my favorite thing about it. Yeah, is just how good it looks. It looks great. Um, good performances from everyone. There's really not a weak link. No, nobody's bad in it. Everybody's um, tremendous in it from the top to bottom. Can't always guess where it's going. No, it's very unpredictable at the same time. Yeah, I don't know. I just maybe one complaint. I wish the Blu-ray was cheaper. Well, uh, you can get the uh, Twilight Time, or you can get a Spanish release, or you can get the Arrow release. See, I just got that DVD. I had the Arrow release and the Spanish release, but the uh, Arrow release I saw was like forty bucks. They just had a sale; it's still going on right now at Arrow. It's ten pounds. If you have a Ridge Free Player, you could order it and probably get it shipped to you for sixteen bucks. Because the one I have has like no features or. Well, the second disc has a ten-hour version of the documentary called "The Man of Iron." There's like an hour and a half version, but the ten-hour version has interviews with all the actors and stuff. Warren Ellis is dead by the time they made this. That would be died very young. And uh, so, yeah, but it uh, has a bunch of interviews. I've watched most of that disc. I never Ten got to the whole hours. thing, though. Yeah, I mean, I got to the Jason Robots. There's tons of people that he worked with. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, they're talking about the commentary. Peter Falk almost played that role, Benny. I can't see more, not more notes. No, either. yeah, his, just, he has the look. Very expressionist, expressionist face. Like oh, he, he has a great face. And his teeth and everything about him. Like, he just so good. His and, demeanor, too. Just like, he's always kind of tilts his head a little. Yeah. He's got poor posture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's just so tremendous in that movie. And yeah. everything about it is so good. And you feel bad for him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, tr- you truly do want to see him succeed. But after 
what happens in the graveyard is just like there's no going back. Like I didn't know what he was doing. Like why are you doing this still? And I was like, oh, it's just it's past the point. And then of there's that, the part at the end. He forgets the money. He goes back. Remember that? I said that. To him. I was like, you forgot the money. It doesn't matter. Anymore, and and he comes back in. He's like, forgot the money. <laughs> Grabs it, dude. He's so so good. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just such a great movie. It's one of my all time favorites. Well, new favorites because I've seen it probably last year for the first time, and I've watched it like three or four times now. It's just a tremendous movie. Uh, I really recommend picking up that Arrow release. Yeah. There's lots of good stuff on it. Yeah, I might get. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but I definitely enjoyed it. it it's. I don't know if I like it better than The Wild Bunch. It's, I think The Wild Bunch is better. I don't think it... The Wild Bunch is a better film. I like The Wild Bunch better. So I think so, too. I think it's the second best, though, after that. But, I mean, Peckinpah is a very interesting person, very interesting director, and Warnold's is a very interesting actor. And uh, I just uh, can't wait to read the chapter in Peckinpah's book about this movie. Yeah. Are you reading the book now? Or I uh, started reading The Wild Bunch chapter. I couldn't hold off. I flipped right to it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm good on the... Bring me the head of Alfred yeah. Garcia. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I was glad you recommended it. I, I knew you'd it. like it. Yeah. This is Alfredo Garcia. He's about to become a very important man. We are looking for an old buddy of ours, a compadre named Alfredo Garcia. A private army is scouring three countries to find Alfredo Garcia. Well, don't worry if he's alive. I'll find him. Alive isn't our problem. Someone has offered a million dollars for his head. If I ever get my hands on him, I'm going to kill him. All that we require from you is physical proof that Garcia is dead. And we're prepared to settle for his head. Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. This man will become an animal. Alfredo's our saint. He's a saint of our money. I'll take it to him. I love you. This woman's dreams of love will be destroyed. I've been here before. You don't know the way. Innocent people will suffer. With Alfredo's help, we can do anything, honey. Holy ground will be desecrated. You don't want me to be part of that, do you? You are a part of it. Twenty-five people will die. Just being together is enough. No, it's not, baby. All because of Alfredo Garcia. And only one man really knows why. Kill him. Sam Peckinpah, director of the greatest adventure films of our time, has made possibly his most powerful and startling motion picture. the second feature what's it called jimmy and judy you want to explain this one yeah okay so jimmy and judy is the story of this kind of kind of eccentric aloof kid who lives with these rich parents and um he's always videotaping everything he does he doesn't fit in at school um he's always causing problems and stuff and uh this Judy girl from his school um, comes over to his house one day, and he likes her and stuff. So, and uh, he sees her get bullied one day, and he he does something to retaliate against uh, the people that bullied her, and she doesn't understand why, and he, and he tells her it's because he loves her, 
and they kind of, um, they decide to, like, run away, and they film everything. They're always filming. It's like uh, found footage, like home video. He's obsessed with cameras. Yeah, he's obsessed with filming. So they're always filming everything, and they find themselves just getting into more and more trouble as as they go on their, like, road trip or yeah. whatever you want to call it. So that's the premise. Um, I told you to watch this movie a long time ago. Yeah, I actually, we were at a family video, and we were walking down the aisles, and you're like, it's a dollar fifty or something when we were at a wasteland, and you're like, "It's good, grab it." Yeah. And I actually grabbed it. And then when I, I sorted my movies recently, and I was like, "Man, I couldn't find it to watch it." And I was like, "Oh, I forgot it was in Anchor Bay." And I went to the Anchor Bay section, and boom, there it was. Yeah, I remember what what drew me into wanting to watch this film was the back. Uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but it compared it to Natural Born Killers. Yeah. What Natural Born Killers wanted to be, or something like that. Yeah. What, sh- what it should have been, or something. And uh, I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, how anything. many quotes had that? Natural Born Killers done right, yeah. Like, as if like people that don't think Natural Born Killers is done right, like they're gonna yeah. like the one that they think is done right. This one's even better. <laughs> um, so that's what because I love Natural Born Killers. Yeah. So obviously, we both do. So that drew me into it. Yeah, and I wound up really liking it. Um, what I don't even know if I really explained it to you. What were you? Did you have any pre expectations or anything? I didn't really know. I did expect it to be more violent and action packed than it actually was. Yeah. But I didn't expect uh, actually a good performance. I'd buy Edward Furlong because you never know what you're going to get. You know he has a lot of yeah. had had a lot of problems, and it's a shame, man. Edward Furlong could have been. A, he still was a good actor in his time, but he could have been special. Like he, yeah, he could have been was, great but he could have been even better than he was. Because I mean, like even American History X, Little Odessa. Um, brain scan, Terminator Two. I mean, these are good performances, and, it, and this one was pretty good too. You could tell that he had some. He's uh, intense. Yeah, really over the top, but somehow realistic. Yeah, and I th- thought it was an accurate portrayal of a kind of a, a rich, spoiled delinquent that actually drags somebody down with him. Yeah, and um, you know his character was likable, and, and the movie's funny too. It yeah, has its it funny, has moments. funny moments. I did think that the police pullover scene was a little. Uh, Bad. Like they could have showed him take the gun off the cop and shoot him way better. It's hard to believe that Edward Furlong, five foot like six, Edward Furlong could tackle a full grown cop. Maybe they thought about that and they did. That's why they didn't show it. But they did it off screen. They could have just had him pull the gun, which would have because you assume like he tackles him and gets him down and then pulls the gun. It's like it would just been so much easier to have him pull the gun, the cop back up, and then boom. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know why they did it that way. They did it, but it's not a it's not a game breaker for it. Yeah, you got some questions for me? I guess. Um... What were some of your favorite parts? Uh, William Sadler. Oh, he's great! <laughs> he's a Manson-style ranch. He is great. I love his, his monologue. Now, those kids out there, we, the, the undesirables, you might call us. You, me, we know the truth. No, we know it. You know society don't want you. Your parents don't want you. Corporate America sure as fuck doesn't want you. You wouldn't be here otherwise, would you? And if America had the chance, if this government had the chance, they would gas us in a heartbeat. They would exterminate us just like the Jews, or they would enslave us like the niggers. Because make no mistake about it, we are the new niggers of this country. Nobody respects us. Nobody sees what we have to offer, do they? Nobody has any compassion for us. They don't care. Or they're too naive to see that we are the fucking byproduct 
of a wasteful society that has failed to educate, to embrace, to fulfill, to inspire any of us. We are societal garbage. Uh, you know, once I think about it, one of the most memorable scenes is the pickle nipple scene. Or, uh, ever for a while. Oh, he put yeah. pickles on my yeah. sandwich, it, and he's it, like punching the. He's like punching the yeah, room. Yeah. Pickles on my. So yeah. weird. I was just like, is this the worst performance I've ever seen, or the greatest performance <laughs> I've ever seen? I, I didn't love the movie, uh, but I thought it was worth watching. I thought it was enjoyable. What did you think about the chemistry between the Jimmy and Well, they ended up getting married after. That. Yeah, yeah, I, I so, didn't know I mean, if you knew that. The chemistry so, was yeah. there, obviously. They know? did. They were really well together. They had kids together. Yeah. How old was Edward Furlong in this when they shot this? <laughs> he was like, probably like 30 years old. How something. old was she? She's like 18 or 19. Yeah. Yeah, pretty, I 21. Could tell, I could tell that he was yeah. a little older. Yeah. He was getting his like pudgy stage of yeah, Edward Furlong. Yeah. But uh, no, that really weird scene with the parents was like completely improv. They said, they said just kind of improv it. Yeah. And that was kind of funny. There's some funny moments in it. It's funny in the beginning when he's having sex with the uh Oh, the that prostitute. part's really, really terrible. <laughs> yeah, There's actually long stuff on like, that. Why'd you say that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, really, he's like, I feel terrible. And the deleted scenes, he's like, I've never felt this bad in my life. She's like, I don't care. He's yeah. Like, he's like, she charges him extra for the interview. I would have, too. It's her time, man. Yeah. Um, I always said when I watched it, it would be a movie that I would love to see in the theater. Hmm, I'm not sure. Why, why is that? Because just how intense, to me, how intense I thought it got at the end when yeah. like all the shit's going down, you know, with William Sadler and stuff like after that and then the the police and everything. Yeah, like yeah. I don't really want to spoil it, but just it, it gets to me intense really fast and the sound of it, you know, just the yeah, camera, yeah. like I thought it would just sound great in the theater. It didn't make me sick either. Like a lot of these found footages will make you completely ill. And it also is a shame that these guys didn't go on to direct another movie. I would have been interested to see what they did. Because the commentary s- suggests that they're not morons. And they know what they were doing. And they have ideas. And, and uh, it had a cinematographer. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he completely told Edward Furlong what to do. And, like, yeah. you know, lit it. And, yeah. And there, there's some uh, nice moments in here that I actually did uh, enjoy. I'm trying to think of uh, a couple of them that... Uh, so, oh, the character who's like, we're going to rape this uh, crack whore. Yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. And then later there's another guy that shows up. I'm like, is that the same guy? Like, they're like almost <laughs> twins. Remember at the end at the ranch? Yeah, I was like, yeah. what? Uh, like those uh, actually, like crystal uh, meth bros? I don't yo, know how yeah. any other way to explain That them. scene's crazy. Yeah, that was all one take, too. And the guy's yep. going around. One long stuff. shot. Yeah, that was good stuff. Hey, from that and he seemed realistic. He seemed like that kind of dude. Kind of awful and he's laughing about it, and they're like, "We're oh, long at first is like acting like he's cool with it." Yeah. And then like, and he's like, "Well, honey, he's like, you know, you're gonna have sex with this girl." And she's like, "She's like, I'm not in the Yeah, she's like, so like very like uncomfortable. Yeah, about it. the girl has does not want to do any of this. Yeah, just wants to crack and wants to go. I like them. I like it a lot. It's more of a dramatic film. Yeah. You know, it's not really the cover. Would uh, if you look at the cover, it has him holding the shotgun with yeah. the police in the background, and that th- those are two separate scenes. You would expect like completely that it would be action packed. So I was expecting more of a yeah. born killers, killers on the run, love in a forty five type movie. I think it's just the love and the being on the run. Is yeah, like it's how definitely they, similar to how the born killers, and it's also does the media like the found footage because he gets blown up on the media. Yeah, did yeah. the same thing with love in a. 45 like they become kind of like famous at a certain extent but uh the cool part was they added the manson ranch in it it's like 
what if natural born killers had a Manson ranch? <laughs> they go to the Manson ranch. Full of uh, meth heads. Yeah, and uh, William Sadler was really good in it. He owned that. He's a good actor. He's yeah. intense, man. Like, his eyes, like, his eyes are sunken into his skull, and he's always just very intense and scary. He's, he's, he's the best actor in the film, for sure. Addiction reduces people to infants. And ain't nothing so beautiful and innocent and pure as an infant. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I see, Connie here is not an adult any longer. She's an infant. And I am her surrogate mother who must provide the much-needed breast milk from time to time. It is an arrangement that we have both come to accept. Yeah, but I think that uh, you expect him to always be good, so it's not unexpected if he's great. It's expected. Yeah. Edward Furlong, you don't know what you're getting, and he did. He delivered the goods on it. He, he did, yeah. Good. I think because he just went for it totally. Yeah. He, there was not, he didn't hold back from anything. He was naked in it. He, yeah. Shaved his head for it, and like, yeah, yeah. He, uh, I think he was totally committed to the role. I, I liked it, but I don't love it. I don't know if I'll revisit it. Like, it's not, I'm not mad I watched it, and I am glad I watched it because I kind of want to see all the Natural Born Killers ripoffs. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, there's, I know I've seen Bloodlending, Love in a 45. Uh, True Romance is very similar. I wouldn't call it a ripoff. It was maybe yeah, pre yeah, Or the same script guy. Same, so. like, time. So we got all of them out there. There's still a bunch more. I always there. wanted to do, I wanted to, like, California. I wanted to watch, like, Natural Born Killers, uh, Badlands, Badlands, True Romance, Jimmy and Judy. Like, I wanted to watch, like, Bonnie and Clyde. Do you like, know the connection here? What? Badlands. Guess who plays the father? Sissy Spacek's father is Warren Oates in Badlands. Ah. Yeah, and Martin Sheen kills him. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Badlands Man, in Man, he gets time. around, Warren Oates. Yeah. There's lots of greats. Yeah. So he's a great role in that one. Yeah, but Badlands is great stuff, yeah. I just thought, you know, I haven't seen Jimmy and Judy in a long time, actually. You didn't rewatch it for this? Mm-mm. What? I rewatched I Bring Me the Head. No, I, I just watched what you wanted me to watch. I've seen it so many times, but yeah, I yeah, haven't, but I haven't watched it in a long time. So maybe as a, a younger me, just thought it was more intense. It's definitely could relate to it more. A more younger film, I would yeah. say for sure, like a teenage movie that would be cool, and not one that like a teenage movie. Sometimes you revisit those teenage movies and you just like see the teenage angst, and you're like, I can't watch this. This is embarrassing for an adult to watch. But some that one I got through, and I was like, you know, you know, this isn't horrible. I did expect there to be more like graphic violence in it, just because the movie. I yeah. don't know why I suggested that, but I also think that the Edward Furlong's delinquency. Like how he was bad and how he got carried to a, and levels and going up and how he faked like the medical stuff. It seemed fairly realistic how that yeah. kind of shit would work with somebody like that. Yeah, he seemed like honestly like he had those mental issues. Like, yeah, he played it very well. Oh yeah, I mean like he was also for like that rich and family. And I, I felt bad for the, her too. She's she had, did a very good performance. I felt very sympathetic for her. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't very, like, intelligent, like, seemingly. She was young. She was yeah, not dumb. She was just really young. Just young and exploited by yeah. somebody. He, he probably was highly intelligent. Like, a lot of a lot of people sometimes are highly intelligent, although that's sometimes a myth. Like, a lot of serial killers are, like, considered dullards, like Gary Ridgway's IQ was not very high and stuff like yeah. that. But then other times they are high. But they're all losers. <laughs> and he was a loser, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah, it, it's cool. I think it's interesting. I, mean, I, I thought you would enjoy it, just if anything, for the fact that it's kind of like a natural born Yeah, killers. yeah, yeah. 
I don't know if it's the best Natchborn Killers. I was a little hot and cold on Love in a 45. I enjoyed it, but... i never seen that. I think you would like that one. Uh, it's Jeffrey Combs is in it, and he plays oh, like a okay. hitman, and he's crazy. And there's other people in it that you would recognize. Uh, Peter Fonda is in it. And, I uh, think probably the best one that ever got compared was was Killers by Mike Mendez. Yeah. Probably. That's, that's, I like Bloodletting. That's, that's a my great deal. one. Bloodletting's my deal. But that's a serial killer one. Yeah, yeah. Like, I never really had uh, Mickey and Mallory packed as serial killers, mass murders. Mass murders. They didn't torture much. They just yeah. kind of well, killed. Well, I mean, you could be a serial killer and not torture, but it's just a spree. A spree killer or a mass murderer is a little different than a serial killer. Yeah, true. Yeah. But uh, I think I'm good on Jimmy and Judy, unless you got any more questions. No, no, yeah. Sounds good to me, man. Yeah, I would probably go somewhere like a, a 3.25 out of 5, like a 6.5 out of 10 or something around that range. What would you give, like, uh, Bring Me the Head? Bring me the head. I'd give it a, you know, what would you give it? A 10. 10, yeah. So, I, I don't know. I'd probably give it a, like, eight and a half, nine, Solid 9. What would you give uh, Jimmy and Judy? Um, 7.5. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, also, like, I've only seen it once. It's hard to give a solid rating on a movie you've only I just, once. I personally enjoy it because I, I, I like the buildup of how intense it gets at the end. Yeah, yeah, and the ending actually is pretty cool. And, and I, I love all these stories about just the the love is like what holds everything that together. That holds these crazy But people, you know yeah. what's sad at the end when he's telling her like, it's not, like, it's not going to work. And she's like, it will, it will. She just but, care. but he's a little older than her, so yeah. he knows like it's not going to. Yeah. And that was always kind of soul crushing to me. I love those lo- those kind of love stories that are just Bad like, love. Yeah, like tattered. Yeah, it's not going to. Hold out. It's just really not Like a Badlands. Is that yeah. what Yeah. So that's what I really liked about it. So I'm going to give it a seven and a half, eight. Yeah. That's just me. Well, you're not wrong on your own opinion, right? <laughs> well, we're good, guys. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this. There's probably going to be some sound issues. On part of the video, we had some trouble. Hopefully that's okay. I'll try to fix it up as best as I can. Uh, live from Cinema Wasteland, we're exhausted and uh, dying. This is my life, and I want to document it. And me filming you, Judy, happens to be the only reason I manage to get out of bed every morning. That's the most romantic thing I've ever even heard of. You're so beautiful. Maybe you shouldn't film everything. I don't film everything. Just what's important. Dad. Hey, Mom. I live in a freak show. There's this guy, Uncle Ronnie. He runs this colony where he can just run around and get drunk and naked all the time. Truth is an acquired taste. This is what life should be. We will set fire to their world. (laughs) I think he hit somebody. Oh my god, that's some cops. The images you are about to see may not be suitable for young children. 
up, Jimmy. We're gonna get caught. Let's get out of here. Let's get out. Get in! I think, I gotta think, I gotta think. Yes. Nice.